Good morning, friends. This is the Reverend Jack Alvey with my friend and co-host, the Reverend Josiah Ringers, with This Anglican Life, a moderate voice for contentious times. We're glad you've joined us today for our special episode. Josiah, tell us a little bit more about what we're going to discuss today. Thanks, Jack. I'm glad to um, be doing this podcast today. We're watching the news uh, in Houston. We're watching kind of devastation of the flooding because of uh, Hurricane Harvey. And we think this is something that could use some perspective, at least some conversation. Today, we want to talk about what is the best response as Episcopalians, as Christians? How can we respond to tragedies, specifically this one, but in general? We want to talk about um, why we use an institution to work through and why do these kinds of disasters happen? You know, at a time like this, we refer to it as an act of God. And is this really how God would act? So I want to ask you first, Jack, I want to start in just saying, what is the best response? What can people do uh, in your church or in my church right now to respond to the, the flooding in Houston? For, for us at St. Paul's, we are encouraging people to give to Episcopal Relief and Development. They're a great organizations. I, I've, I've worked with them uh, personally in Birmingham during Tornado Relief, and they basically uh, facilitate... Uh, emergency response, first response with local congregations. So all those funds will go to help Episcopal churches in the Houston area respond uh, to immediate needs like food and water, diapers and formula and that, that sort of thing. And so that's a way that the Episcopal church in particular can respond right now and provide immediate relief. Do you have, and they also, do you have an access point for that, Jack? Do you have uh, like a site where people can visit at your church? Yes, we, we've, we've posted it in our emails, Episcopal Relief and Development. They have a website, and you can give directly to, 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 to the response to Harvey. This Sunday, we're actually going to take up a special offering during the offertory. Any, any loose plate cash or uh, checks that are designated will go as sort of St. Paul's official response to, to hurricane relief. Yeah, and we're doing the same thing. Uh, we have an announcement out through our Wednesday message, we have something in our bulletin, we have handouts and flyers for, for Episcopal Relief and Development. And uh, and also through our diocesan website, uh, dioala.org, that's like the Diocese of Alabama. But you know, what's interesting is that we have this Episcopal response, not just for Harvey, but that is an institution that continues and grows and lives, which is Episcopal Relief and Development. Why is it good to use an institution. Why trust an institution rather than just sending money down, you know, directly to a person in need? Or why is it better than, I don't know, jumping in our truck today and driving down to Texas to help out? Yeah, I think one of the things that ERD and institutions like that, Red Cross, Salvation Army, anything like that, is that they are a known entity. They can better coordinate, uh, coordinate a response that is uh, efficient. Uh, you, you don't get as many duplication of, of efforts. And, you know, one of the things that I learned in Tornado Relief in Birmingham is that there are a lot of duplication of efforts. There's a lot of stuff uh, given out of goodwill, but they're not necessarily needed. Uh, and so and to, so to have some, some of these organizations uh, 
coordinate with one another and that's another thing they do they talk to each other you know the red cross erd any other sort of institutional response is that they try to get on the same page they try to you know divide and conquer and so i think that's one of the benefits of giving to a group like episcopal relief and development because they have people on the ground who know what the needs are uh who know where uh, various supplies need to go and so i think that's one of the great benefits of and you're also helping the local community right you know you don't you don't need a, a, a lot more people in a city that's already you know struggling well jack <laughs> and so you've, you've had experience in responding to disaster like you've helped mm-hmm. respond to tornadoes what did you do uh in in birmingham well after the uh, april 2011 tornadoes you know saint uh, excuse me, All Saints became a drop-off place for that community. One of the things that we did was partner with Christian Service Mission, uh, and they really are a bridge in Birmingham to, to get churches together to offer compassionate response, and especially in times of disaster. They have a huge warehouse, and so they were sort of a, a main distri- uh, collection and distribution hub, and so we would take our supplies there, and then we would also, they would run people out of that out of that facility to, to provide supplies to those in need. And as with Episcopal Relief and Development, we actually partnered with Episcopal Relief and Development and Christian Service Mission to help you know supply needs in, in the community. And one of the other things that Christian Service Mission did and Episcopal Relief and Development does is they it, they offer an ongoing response. Uh, they, they offer, it's not just immediate relief, but it's also recovery and rebuilding. They're there for the long haul. Right now we're in phase one, we're, we're in recovery, right? We're, we're, we're just in sort of immediate relief. And eventually you'll get into phase two, which is rebuilding. And one of the things that we did with Christian Service Mission was we, we, we adopted, All Saints adopted a family and helped them rebuild their house, rebuild their homes. Uh, and, and so that's sort of a little bit what, what we did there. Well, you know, at our church at St. Thomas in Birmingham, we are affiliated with the Red Cross, and so we have a team mm-hmm. that's been trained through the Red Cross in case of a, a disaster in our neighborhood, in case of massive flooding or tornadoes or fires, mm-hmm. and um, and they give us a specific training for a specific job. So, like, we're not going to be the first responders out with an ambulance. We're not going to be the second responders who go out and um, are doing medical treatment, on-site treatment. What we're going to do is go staff a center, you know, or a place where people are coming and, and we're going to be passing out supplies and food. And that's what's happening right now, that people are being fed, that people are getting water, that they're getting, you know, medical treatment. But then there's that long recovery and it's going to take years. You know, I look at what's happening right now and, and in some ways it is the best of humanity that comes out. Like the disaster draws the very best of our intentions. You see people lined up, you know, down the highway with their trucks, pulling boats, ready to go out and rescue and save and search. That's beautiful. Did you see the, the woman who was saved on a sea dew? <laughs> no. What, call it? No. pretty awesome. Well, but it's cool. Uh, like, people someone, are using their gifts, right? Yeah. People are using what they have. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, but in a way, that's acute compassion. Like, that's happening at a specific time, at the very worst time, and that's good. As a matter of fact, if you have a sea dew and you're healthy and able to go search for someone and you don't, maybe that would be very bad. However, um, as Christians, as disciples, we try to practice ongoing compassion. We try to create a larger compassion during the times of normalcy when there's not disaster. And by supporting an, an institution like Episcopal Relief and Development, 
they can be the compassionate work of God that's always working, that's always responding, not just to immediate crises, but to the ongoing suffering of people. And then they can draw us into that. They can help us be, become participants in it. And, you know, we talk all the time about discipleship, about becoming the hands and feet of God. And in a way, it's that ongoing support through our Episcopal Church that really can be kind of a global, continuous compassion working. Absolutely. Jack, I wanted to ask you, um, why did this happen? You know, during times of disaster, we look up to the sky and shake our fists at God and we say, how could you let this happen? So how could a good, loving God let such devastation happen that people are losing their lives, they've certainly lost their homes? Um, is this, and we call it an act of God, is this how God acts? Well, I mean, the short answer is it's a mystery, right? You know, I, I can't pretend to know why this happened or, or why God let this happen or even uh, possibly, you know, constructed this. Um, what I do know is that we live in a world where there are storms. Uh, there are storms in our own, you know, emotional, spiritual lives. There are storms in our physical world. Uh, and these storms uh, shake these things up. These storms cause suffering. They cause pain. They cause uh, loss of life. And they're devastating. And, and, I, and I do know that, you know, as Jesus uh, walked out in the middle of the storm, with the disciples, uh, he is walking out in the middle of these storms as well. And so I don't know why, but I do know that our, our God is very present. And we see how present our God is through, uh, through the response of the church, through the response of people of compassion who uh, reach out their hand to those who are suffering, people who, who risk their own lives uh, to, to, to help others, to save, to save others. And so I think, uh, you know, again, the God of Scripture is not so much interested in answering the question why, but the question, what are we going to do about it? What is God doing about it? Well, you know, the frustrating part of that story that you just told from Scripture, the frustrating part of, like, Jesus walking out on the storm, is he comes out and there's this huge waves and terrible wind, and they're terrified of, of being capsized, and Jesus standing there, and, and Peter climbs out of the boat to stand with him. And he sees the waves, and he gets scared, and he starts to fall. And one thing I often reflect on is Jesus saves Peter and they get back in the boat and then he calms the storm. It's like, wouldn't it have been better if Jesus calmed the storm before Peter climbed out of the boat? But like, that's, I, I think, maybe a more uh, powerful message that Jesus doesn't always calm the storms, that he doesn't always make yeah. everything perfect and easy, uh, but he is there with us, that he's standing with us in the chaos and where's Jesus? Yeah. Like, he's certainly in the chaos right now. That God doesn't stop every weather system from happening. That God doesn't, like, reach down and stop the natural order of, of the cycles of the world. But he does meet us in that disaster. And, um, and that's important. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's hard to say this now, especially when they're in the midst of such pain and suffering. But, you know, storms and, and rain and, and all these things... Uh, serve serve some kind of purpose um obviously the loss of life is devastating and we'd rather that not happen um you know there i don't think there's you know you, you, occasionally you'll hear you know a fundamental evangelist say that this the storm is uh, a, a reflection of god's judgment on a, on a sinful people which 
uh, I think is a very um, lazy theology, uh, a, a very a lazy theology that leads to a um, a message that 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 it's not about the God of love. It's a lazy um, theology and it's a prideful theology because that assumes that you are the judge and it assumes that you are the one able to read the mind of God alone and point your finger at others. It's And Jesus addresses this. He says, look, folks, don't point out the splinter in your friend's eye when you have a log jammed in your own. That um, it's not the time for us to call out other people's sin. I love that splinter. I've never heard that. That's great. It's a time for us to respond as Jesus is also responding. And you know, I think of this, I think of these tragedies. And I have a little daughter who's four years old. And uh, let's say we go to the grocery store and I tell her, okay, we're in the grocery store. There's a big stack of like, I don't know, glass bottles. Don't touch that stack of glass bottles. Now let's say like she goes near, and so I start yelling at her like, hey, do not touch those glass bottles. She starts to like play with one near the bottom. I'm like jumping up and down. I'm like waving signs. I'm like screaming with all of my air. And she pulls the bottle out and it comes crashing down. Well, she's still my daughter. I still love her. It was not part of my intention that she caused that big, huge mess. But I still have to take responsibility for it, right? I still have to go and pay for it. I go to the manager. I say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Uh how much do I owe you? I, I'm going to be the resp- responsible one. And in the world, I, I think this is a good metaphor for the way we live in the world with God, that God, I think, sends us warnings, that God sends us, um, he jumps up and down and yells at us, he sends prophets, he sends even his own son Jesus to jump up and down and call us back and say, don't do wrong, don't wander away from God. But when bad things happen anyway, God does take responsibility for it. I think ultimately like God takes responsibility Absolutely. for the broken world through his own death on the cross. But he takes responsibility yep. for it and responds to it. He responds to our tragedies. He responds to the crisis right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, God, you know, going back to the, the Garden of Eden, God did not intend for us to live in a broken world where, where death and pain and suffering were a part of our reality. But... Uh, that is that is what we chose, and as you you said, I mean, God sent warning after warning to call the people back to God, um, but but only at the place of the cross is that is that warning uh, fully, I guess, uh, fully heard. Uh, we're gonna edit that part out because I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so, Jack, what do you think? What do you think is the right Christian response to disaster? Not just giving money, not just saying prayers, but how are we supposed to view the world as Christians? Yeah, I think one of the things that this kind of suffering does, uh, you know, one of the things that Charlottesville did, one of the things that Katrina did, one of the things that uh, these mass shootings at school do is it reminds us of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? You know, when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you, you see a couple things. Uh, ultimately, you see the utter depravity of human nature, of our sinfulness, of our desire for power and control. What you also see is our helplessness over over what happens in this life, uh, our total inability to, um, to to stop, you know, the storms of this life from crushing us. And so, what what you see on the cross is uh, basically the total destruction 
of humanity and 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 where how God made us in His image. And so, when when we when when we when we find ourselves as Christians at the place of the cross, and the place of the cross are found in these storms, uh, we are moved to humility. We are moved to compassion. We are moved to put uh, our biases aside. We are moved. Um, to, to put everything that prevents us from loving each other aside and say, we are incredibly broken people and we are a people who, who need, uh, who need mercy and who need compassion. And I, and I, and I think uh, that, you know, theological, that's sort of the theological lens in which I look at things like this. It, it reminds us that this is our response at all times and in all places to the suffering uh, of the world, and so in the cross is sort of that big moment that highlights that that great suffering of the world. And when something like this happens, um, it's it's like a cross moment. It's never. It's you're exactly right, Jack. It's a moment where we experience the cross, and it's never a blessing to go to the hospital. It's never a blessing to be sick. It's never a blessing to. Um, to be in a crisis and to lose everything. I mean, that's devastation and that's not God's will and that's not God's purpose and his intention. But sometimes at those moments, sometimes at the lowest moments when everything else is just stripped away, you know, when you're laying in the hospital bed, totally powerless, sometimes those are the most spiritual moments we have that we kind of build up all these things around us. We build up our home, we build up our wealth, we build up our our name, our pride, our... Uh, hobbies, the things we enjoy doing. And all that stuff creates noise that can drown out the voice of God. And sometimes in moments like this, it's so deeply spiritual. It's so so close to God because that's all we have mm-hmm. left, right? That yeah. we're alone and we're staying before our Savior. Yeah, it reminds us what we truly need in this world, uh, what, what, what gives us life. Uh, you know, we're, we're reminded that our things are perishable you know you know our our stuff that we carry around with us are can be washed away in, in a minute but the, the only things that last are relationships that are born out of love those are the only things that will that will continue in this world and ultimately the the relationship that is that is that was born out of love in a manger in Bethlehem 2000 years ago is 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 what reminds us that that is the only that is the only force that um, will last in this world and where we else, say is dust where we say like store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor can destroy nor rust can consume mm-hmm. nor nor thief come in and steal we say store up your treasures in heaven because that's the only place where it's meaningful because we can make a huge amount of money and invest it and in, in, on the stock market and then the stock market crashes and we lose everything we can invest in our homes we can invest in our toys we can invest in our football teams and then you know our, our houses can burn down and our football teams can lose the championship you know, at the last minute. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and that's not where our hope rests. Those are things no. that are good. Those are things that are useful. Those are tools to make it through life. But that's not the end of life. And yeah, at and times my, like this, we reorient our perspective. Absolutely. And on Sunday, Jesus, you know, uh, we'll hear Jesus rebuke Peter. He says, you are setting your things on human things and not in on divine things and you know another way to talk about that is the idols that we have erected in this world you know you know idols that can be good like you know it's fun to, to cheer for your favorite football team and um you know i i like that we live in a nice house um i you know i take pride in my yard 
Uh, I take pride in, you know, making it look nice. But ultimately, um, I can't expect that those things will um, will will sustain me forever. Eventually, they're going to fail me, and they're ultimately yeah. going to fail me when I die. Football is not going to come and comfort you in your hospital bed. Football is not going to uh, pick you up when you're sick. You know, football is not going to hold your hand when you're when you're uh, depressed. It will make you happy on the weekend. I mean, it is something that is successful and exciting and, and fun to look forward to. Um, and football is good, but football is not God uh, in the way that there is only one God. We talked, the scripture this Sunday is also from um, Exodus where Moses stands before the burning bush. And he says, I am who I am. That God is, right? That God is. We are are always trying to discover ourselves. We are always trying to learn and figure out who we are. And in that, we're trying to always figure out who God is, but God is. He's constant. God was and is and will be. Um, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago Charlottesville. And in Charlottesville, we saw kind of the worst of who we can be. We saw uh, people in the alt-right, people in the KKK, Nazis, fascists, right? We saw people who are just ugly, and and we can't turn away from that. We say that is who we are, that that is part of America, that, that we have within us the seeds for anger, those seeds for violence, those seeds for rejecting people who look different from us or act different from us. That's not some far-off country, some third-world country. That's here. That's not a historical uh, event. That's last weekend, right? That is one side of us, but... We look at the response to Harvey, and we say, that, but that's also us, that we have the seeds for compassion, that people don't question whether or not they should go out and jump in their boats and do good for their neighbors. You don't question who's in need. Everyone everyone is in need. Yeah, and so... And, and that's what the place of the cross reminds us, is that everyone everyone is needy. That we're needy. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, and sometimes it takes a terrible disaster like this to remind us that of that. In that, like, you know, I see I see on the news, Mexico is offering to send their army to come and help with the response. Wow. We see in the news wow. that, um, you know, people from Louisiana are, are racing towards uh, Texas because it wasn't that long ago that Louisiana itself was suffering this kind of crisis. And that... It's like the... It's like the Good Samaritan, right? I mean, the reason that the Good Samaritan is moved com- with compassion is because the Samaritan is the one who knew what it is like to, to, to be picked up when they were left for dead on the side of the road. And so, you know, the, you know Henry Nowen wrote that, that great book called The Wounded Healer. Uh, you know, the only when we know what it is like to be picked up out of the ditch can we really, really respond with the same kind of compassion. And so you have people in Louisiana and Alabama who have experienced that terrible devastation, who know what it is like to be picked up out of the ditch. Uh, and, and lifted back to life. And ultimately, that's what Jesus does, right? He, he, he gets down in the ditch with us on the cross, and then he lifts us back to the life on, on the third day where he says, uh, even, even the worst things that this world can throw at us cannot, cannot destroy the power of God's love. And that's powerful, but it requires humility. It requires mm-hmm. the very first thing we sacrifice is ourselves, our own pride. And that's hard to mm-hmm. do, right? It's hard to, to get beyond ourselves, and to acknowledge that. And these disasters certainly humble us and, and crises in our life certainly like humble us. But in the day-to-day, in the minutia of life, when we go to work and we're trying our very best to be successful, it's hard to be reminded of that humility. It's hard 
to continually get back on our knees and say, I need help, right? That we don't, we don't want to live life. I mean, I don't know about you, Jack, but like as a guy, it's like, I don't want to be uh, always on my knees saying I'm worthless. I'm not able to do it on my own. And yet as a Christian, that's so fundamental to say that I am not God and that I can't survive without God. God isn't a crutch I used to get through the day. God is like my life support and my relationship Mm. with God sustains me every hour. How, how do you help teach people or preach to folks, Jack, about humility? How do you introduce that uh, in your church or in your sermons? Well, I think you've, you've heard me talk about it already, but basically uh, reminding people to gather at the foot of the cross. Uh, you know, obviously you hear that and that might sound cliche, uh, but, there, uh, but, but that's the place of humility. That's the place where we experience our depravity, our 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 weakness, our our sin, our pride, and in, in its fullest, and it is revealed to us in a way where um, we know we're helpless. And 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 again, going back to relying on the mercy of God, who from the cross says, "Lord, forgive them." Um, but you know, ahead. Jack, we um that's the flow of our Episcopal liturgy. The flow is that we um we start on our knees asking God's forgiveness, acknowledging the things we've done and the things that we've left undone, the ways we've responded and maybe the ways we've responded poorly. We start with this confession before then we enter into the sanctuary uh, to receive the Eucharist, to receive communion, before we're able to be reconciled as community. So it is that moment of humility that, that draws us then together as a community, as a community, right? I mean, look, anybody that's been married knows that you have to have some level of humility to be in a relationship with somebody else, right? Like Absolutely. you're going to be married. You're going to have to make sacrifices, whether it's like sacrificing the, uh, the hamburger you want for a salad or it's sacrificing <laughs> time, you know, with, with your family and kids when you maybe would rather be watching football, you have to make sacrifice and you have to sacrifice some of your own will to be in relationship. And that's what it's all about, right? At the end of the day, where Jesus says, look, simple, uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. And somehow we, we can't get that right. We talk about, you know, sacrifice. But we also, t- another word that, that we talk about in the in the Christian life is obedience. And, you know, when we think about obedience, we usually think of, you know, follow the rules, do what your mother tells you, yada, yada, yada. But I think the ultimate, the ultimate, um, response to obedience is sacrifice right i mean that is that is what obedience is all about as you said denial of self and so obedience to christ is is humility and sacrifice and that that's and that's that is achieved at the at the foot of the cross and, and another image uh, i don't know if you have a response but i have another image that i that i want to that i want to share that i think is powerful when thinking about the the suffering and pain of the world and it actually comes from the book of Revelation, right? No S, it's just Revelation. Uh, it's a scary book, but it's also a wonderful book. And, you know, you've, you've heard of the four riders of the apocalypse, right? You, you've heard, you know, so... The, oh, so Jack, I haven't, I haven't actually read the Bible, so I don't know what you're referring to. <clears throat> but go ahead. Okay. Um, anyway, but... I mean to I, get around to it. At some point, I'm definitely <laughs> going to read it. It's on my to-do list. Okay. It's really good. Uh, wait till the end. Okay. Um, keep reading. And so, anyway, there, there's a scene where 
you know, John receives this scroll and he weeps because he can't open the scroll. And there are seven seals on the scroll and the scroll represents God's plan of salvation. And finally, the lamb who was slain is able to open the scroll and the, and the scroll is opened seal by seal. The, the first four scrolls are, are the, um, the riders of the apocalypse. There's, there's the white horse, the pale horse, the black horse, and the uh, other color horse. And, then, <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, they represent, the first horse represents uh, Christ, the white horse. Uh, the, the next horses represent famine. They represent disease. They represent pestilence. They represent all these things that cause suffering uh, in the world. They re- represent the inequality of wealth. Uh, you have a few rich people and everyone else is poor. And so you have all these, uh, these, the things that describe our, our pain and suffering in our world. And then, and then the next, uh, the next two seals are, uh, are, are earthquake and disaster, uh, and, you know, just sort of natural, natural disasters. And, and so anyway, and then the, and then the last seal, are the faithful gathered under the altar in prayer? And so, and, and Eugene uh, Peterson sets sets the scene and says, um, so between all the natural disaster, between all the sin, between all the brokenness of this world, um, is surrounded by all those things are surrounded by Christ, who's the first one, and the last seal being the faithful in prayer. Uh, he says that. That God does not minimize evil. Our response is not to mem- minimize suffering, but to bring it out. You know, one of the one of the things that I sometimes force myself to do is watch the news. Um, it's it's terribly heartbreaking. You don't like to watch the news. Coming... <laughs> What's well, heartbreaking, right? You you hear, you know, you know, you especially, you know, you listen to Houston. You hear how you know children have died in these floods and you know it breaks your heart because you, you see your own two children in the living room and you just can't imagine a life without them and so um your your heart breaks for these people you're you, you know you're, you're just you're just left in that terrible place of of heartbreak and so but i think a part of our response is to to make ourselves available to that pain and suffering you know god does not minimize that pain and suffering uh rather but somehow by, like our humanity needs to have our hearts broken like we need yeah. to be empathetic. We need to feel that that God doesn't Absolutely. isn't trying to just make everything easy. That yeah. for us to respond as Christians, we have to first have our hearts broken. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, one of my one of the favorite hymns, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it, I'm sure, but it talks about how. Oh gosh, are you gonna um, sing? Do I need to prepare myself? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna sing. Oh no, no singing. Um, anyway, so. Uh, it, it's talking about how Jesus calls the disciples off the boat. He filled their hearts brim full and broke them too, right? You know, that's sort of the, that is a part of our Christian response. Our hearts are filled with this joy, but then at the foot of the cross, uh, it is broken. See this pain and suffering. God is not, it's not about minimizing it. It's not about saying it's not as bad as we think. It's not about uh, avoiding it, but it's about, it's about, uh, it's about exposing ourselves to it, not because we're lovers of, of pain and suffering, but because we're lovers of, of humility and compassion, right? And, and, and that is, um, and the only way to have that empathy, as you said, is to open ourselves up to the pain and suffering in the world um, so that we might be that, that wounded healer. Um, so we might, so. Yeah, so I mean, Jack, we've talked about a lot of stuff today, and I think a lot of good uh strong, broad theology 
that there are disasters in the world. We talked about Harvey, uh, and we talked about you know the people who are suffering. Um, that we are called to respond. We are called to be compassionate now, and the best way for us, we believe, is working through these broader institutions like Episcopal Relief and Development. We talk some about um, why these disasters happen. Maybe not why, but where is God when these disasters happen? And, and that God might not cause these, but he does take responsibility for it. That he is there in the midst of tragedy. Shoot, we even talked about uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which, you know, <laughs> that only happens three or four times a day. So that was great. And that ultimately, uh, we, are, we do have to have our hearts broken. That we have to watch the suffering of our of our family, of our friends, of our neighbors, of of our Texans, so that we are able to then be changed and responsive to their needs. So I think we covered mm-hmm. a lot of good things today, we and we'd like to we thank did. everybody for listening, for uh, following us. Thank y'all. And um, as always, we are sponsored by the Abbey. Our Episcopal coffee shop here in Birmingham on 41st Street. It's the best place to, to stop in for a, a hot, warm cup of Jesus any day of the week. So we thank the Abbey and uh, their hot, piping hot coffee that keeps us going every morning, afternoon, and night. Thank you. Thank you, Josiah. Thank you for, for listening. As always, we'd love to hear your, your feedback. And our next regularly scheduled podcast will be uh, recorded on September 12th, and we're asking the question, why Jesus? Hey, why Why not Jesus? Jesus? Why not Jesus? Look, I just recorded the whole episode. Super easy. All right, Jack, well, (laughs) you have a great day in Selma, Alabama, and I'll talk to you real soon. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye.